You are listening to Neurosalience, the OHBM podcast. Welcome to the Organization for Human Brain Mapping Neurosalience podcast. I'm Peter Banatini, and here I interview neuroscientists and discuss their work, as well as the latest developments, issues, and controversies in the field of brain mapping. Uh, OHBM has several SIGs, or otherwise known as special interest groups, and a growing number over the years. Uh, and these include Open Science SIG, Sustainability and Environment Action SIG, Student, post, student and Postdoc SIG, and also the Brain Art SIG. And today I'll be discussing uh, the Brain Art SIG uh, with the uh, uh, members uh, who are in charge of, of, of running that. Uh, and it started officially in 2019, but it has deep roots at OHBM uh, and that we'll, we'll talk about a little bit. Uh, more generally, we'll be discussing the role of art and science and the broader relationship between the two. So I have on our podcast, uh, the current leaders of this SIG, uh, the chair, uh, Amin Badwar, uh, the chair, Lex Zoltanegi, the secretary, uh, Valentina Borgasani, secretary-elect, uh, Rosalind Chavin, uh, Treasurer Sidar Narayanan, Treasurer-elect uh, Peter Kochinov, Art Exhibition Manager Ting Zhu, and the Art uh, uh, Exhibition Manager-elect uh, Disri Lucier. And not everyone from that list is here, uh, but um, just to begin the podcast, I'd just like to have ev all of everyone who is here to you know, say your name and tell us a little bit about uh, where you're from, what you do, and 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 your role on on this thing. So let's start with uh, Aman. Hi, I'm Aman Badwar. I'm the chair uh, for the uh, 2021 um, Brain Art Exhibition and Competition. Um, I am a dementia researcher by training. Um, but I'm also an artist um, and uh, I really like integrating and the two worlds in a meaningful manner. Uh, we'll probably talk about this more in depth. So I'm gonna pass the baton to the next person. Uh, how, about, how about Valentina? Hi, I'm Valentina Borghezani. Uh, I'm a neuropsychologist by training, uh, currently uh, a postdoc in cognitive neuroscience at the University of Montreal. I have absolutely no talent or artistic inclination whatsoever, but I do believe in the benefit of getting out of your comfort zone and definitely given my overfitting and very pragmatical mind, I do need the arts to keep me sane. <laughs> so very appropriately, I am the secretary of the SIG. So. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Uh, how about Ting? Hi, I'm Ting Xu. Uh, I'm a research scientist from Charmin Institute. Uh, Research-wise, I work on the brain connectum uh, in human and non-human primates. Uh, I joined this uh, SIG in 2019, but I think Valentina took a lot of duty in Rome, and I was maybe uh, helping the exhibition and the, the brain hack last year. Okay. And Sridhar. 
Hi, I'm Sridhar Narayanan. I'm the current treasurer of the Brain Arts SIG, and in my day job, I'm a professor at McGill University and a scientist at the Montreal Neurological Institute in the McConnell Brain Imaging Center. And my research involves the development of an application of, uh, uh, of image acquisition and analysis techniques to study of neurological diseases with a focus on multiple sclerosis. Okay, and then finally, uh, Zoltan. Uh, my full name is Zoltan Nagy, and I'm at the University of Zurich now. I, uh, I think my, my um, Google name Zigzag very, very much describes my CV as well. So I, I can't really pinpoint what I do, but uh, during the day, day I work in uh, brain imaging research somehow. And at night, I like to, or in, in my free time, I like to tinker with audiovisual arts and audiovisual audio uh, projects and uh, events. Okay. All right. Well, thanks. Now, hopefully, everyone has their voice associated with their name. And uh, uh, so, so let's just um, maybe start off to to give some perspective uh, on on the SIG. Uh, so maybe I'll start with. Uh, Amen, uh, because I, you know, I've seen you at many of, uh, you know, exhibits. You've had an exhibit of your own uh, uh, at OHBM, and and it seems like you've been part of this even before this began. So, uh, if could you potentially, uh, and others are free to chime in, but if you potentially tr uh, trace back the the history uh, of the Brain Art Sig and even the prehistory. Sure. Um... So we became a brain art SIG in 2019, um, and I've been involved in OHBM since 2015. Um, that was my first time coming to OHBM as a trainee, um, as a postdoc, really. Um, but the history of the brain art SIG, also previously known as NeuroBureau, um, started uh, way back in 2010. I've been told that I've, I've heard a lot of stories. So. <laughs> You know, take them as stories. There might be some fiction in there too. Who knows? <laughs> uh, in case I misquote something. Um, so I was talking to Daniel Margulis, uh, and um, it seems like he and Cameron Craddock were kind of instigators uh, for NeuroBureau, and then soon after, others joined in, like Pierre Balak. And it kind of started with a beach party in Barcelona. Uh, out-of-pocket money, say they use their own money to organize this OHBM beach party. And at some point, the beach mafia got involved and kicked them out, something like that. <laughs> Anyways, so that was 2010. I uh, <laughs> wasn't quite, quite sure what the beach mafia was, but another time, another conversation with Daniel about that. Um, but the actual, uh, they started putting these brain art exhibits in uh, 2011 was the first year and that took place in uh, Quebec City. Um, so I'm really, I was happy to know that because obviously I'm in Canada, so Quebec City is Canadian. <laughs> um, and I think the first uh, brain art exhibit was called Neurocartographies. Um, uh, so trying to get an idea of uh, brain waves and various brain functions and um, um, representing them through art forms. And there was quite a diverse uh, group of artists and neuroscientists displaying their works. Uh, so if you have time, you should probably go uh, visit the gallery on that. Um, and uh, since then, there's been different themes uh, going from brain function, 
And the second one, I think, dealt more with, in 2012, it dealt more with not just the Western re representation of human identity and brain, which makes uh, an individual an individual, but bringing in uh, an Eastern viewpoint too, whereas and the individual is not the end all be all of things, but um, the individual and the environment work together. So that was their second exhibit. And then over the years, we've had different themes, uh, some based on hot, uh, you know, current topics or others like more philosophical. Um, so the brain art exhibitions have really been in the running for, if we include 2021, then uh, you know, over 10 years, we've been having these brain art exhibits and most of them have taken place during the annual meeting um, at OHBM. So OHBM always gave us this new space, um, this large space at the meeting. Um, and since the uh, COVID-19 pandemic set in, we've been having them online. So starting uh, 2020, they've gone online. Um, but the SIG actually formed in 2019 officially um, because it became very apparent to us that there was a lot of interest uh, with OHBM to continue this. And we also realized how much work went into you know, putting together an exhibit so to, uh, it just made sense at that point to give it a more official status. And it also then allows it to grow in directions that even the starting crowd had not envisioned. So just to give the SEGA life of its own. Okay, okay. Just uh, before we continue on with discussion, we had one person join us, uh, Peter Kochinov. Uh, and uh, uh, we, we, before we went around just to introduce ourselves. So Peter, why don't you quickly uh, introduce yourself? Oh, hi, Peter. Yes, uh, thanks for uh, hosting this broadcast. Um, I am a professor in the Department of Psychiatry at University of Maryland Medical School, so pretty much your neighbor. And um, my primary interests are in decoding uh, phenotypic and genetic changes associated with severe mental illness. And uh, I am a new treasurer of the SIG okay. starting this year. All right. All right. And I guess there is, you need a treasurer because there are funds allocated and, and things like that. I mean, it's a real, uh, it's a real organization. Um, so, so let me just, um, uh, uh, let me uh, just state, I, I really liked your mission statement uh, and I'm just gonna quickly read it uh, and just talk about it a little bit. Uh, the scope of Brain Art SIG is to promote the exchange between art and science by fostering the dialogue between artists and members of the OHBM community. We aim to one, encourage artistic approaches and perspectives to understanding human brain function, two, uh, fac facilitate the development of novel approaches to the visualization of scientific data, and three, provide a model uh, of interaction between disciplines while enhancing the public outreach of OHBM. Uh, and, and you mentioned how you achieve these goals through uh, exhibitions and competitions. So uh, if we could just start with the, the first part of that. Um, so what are your thoughts on how art uh, can help build a perspective on brain function? Um, if anyone else wants to chime in or think about that. <laughs> Um, I, I can I can start. 
Um, so we've actually had uh, several uh, artists and scientists within OHBM as well, uh, tackling um, this concept of um, conveying um, brain function via art. I'll start with the artist, um, uh, uh, one who's been kind of with the brain art sake since its inception has been Natalie Regard. And uh, she is a visual artist um, um, initially, but then she got more and more interested in um, understanding um, brain function through art. And her um, interest really was to see if dreams could be somehow um, represented, like if you can find representations of dreams via brain function and if she, and when she was awake, if she could find, um, 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 basically she would take EEG recordings of her dreams uh, while she was sleeping. And when she would awake, she would try to see if certain imageries that she remembered during her dream would then show as a, a sep, uh, certain brain functions in the EEG. Um, so she has been developing that with uh, uh, the main scientists being Roberto Toro and Guillaume Dumas um, uh, in these um, dream session series along with others. Um, and it's a really, um, um, I guess, concrete way of putting down your dreams either as sculptures or as uh, books. Um, so that's one approach that an artist has taken, for example. But then we also have another example in, uh, for example, uh, Dan Lloyd or Julia Scott. Uh, so the, in, they are neuroscientists. And um, Dan Lloyd, for example, looks at the human connectome uh, data and um, tries to um, basically reduce the very dense uh, brain data, uh, functional brain data at 70 uh, to nodes and sonification. So how can we kind of compare individuals by looking at their nodes that increase or decrease in brightness and sonification that also kind of groups people together if they're similar in strength versus if they're apart. So he would he does these things using rest and even like uh, during different conditions like watching different kinds of videos and you know he's looked at individual differences but he's also looked at if there was a presence or absence of sex differences that way um, and the third artist that I want to mention a neuroscientist artist was uh, recently who exhibited in 2020 was uh, Julia Scott where uh, she's trying to get neurofeedback. So what is the effect of brain waves uh, during meditation? Um, basically saying that the, the individual coming to a meditation session is fractured, like um, distracted, their minds are doing different tasks and thinking about different things. But over the meditation session, how do those alpha waves in the brain get like more and more uh, stronger, so kind of removing the fog and, and getting a clearer picture. And so there's been like really a, a variety of ways that both artists and neuroscientists have tried to tackle brain art. Now this is three examples, but I'll uh, you know feel free um, the rest of the sake to pitch in with examples. <laughs> so so um, uh, I'll just ask a little bit of a 
a more, uh, uh, you know, trying to delve into that a little bit. I mean, a lot of it, I mean, so, so right. So, um, and, and we'll probably talk about this a little bit more, but, um, you know, you have these researchers who are doing, who are presenting this data and, uh, and, and trying their best to, I mean, so, so the art part is, is in trying to figure out the most uh, stripped away salient properties of what they're trying to say. And so the, so our, the artistic part is sort of anticipating what the, what the, what the, what the, what the part other people who look at this will, will resonate with in some sense. Uh, is that correct? So that there's sort of an art in that, even though, and also, yeah. And as I, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, when I was writing some of my own notes and thinking that, you know, everyone's drawn to figures. I mean, you could potentially use those in scientific papers too. I mean, you know, it's, uh, uh, but, but where do you draw the line between using the figures and papers versus uh, displaying as art? Or do you draw a line in that regard? So, yeah, I mean, you could, you could have figures, but like, for example, if you were to take Dan Lloyd, uh, he's not interested in figures necessarily. He, okay. Even he could have like nice figures from the Human Chronotome Project. Uh, he basically wants to convert brain waves into music. Cool. Um, because according to him, in his words, the eye can only take in so much. It has to move around on a screen. If an object is moving, you have to move your eyes. And if, yep. if you kind of miss something, you miss something. Whereas the ear is a bit more all-compassive. Um, uh, compared to the eye and the ear can very well pick up differences in pitch and you know um, tone and, and various things so he, he for him he wanted to uh, I guess convey the complexity of brain data to the lay audience via music. Yeah, no, I love that idea. As a matter of fact even for neurofeedback uh, even for fMRI I've, I've often thought of converting the fMRI signal and some having some good transform that converts it. People have done it a little bit. I mean, I think he has maybe uh, in trying to convert it to, to, to music. And I just, I'm also reminded of this, you know, super classic basic neuroscience experiment in single unit recordings of, of monkey visual cortex as they, as they slide a, uh, uh, an angled uh, stimulus across and and yeah, you could display that with a visual display and it looks kind of, it looks nice, but, but hearing it, uh, you know, hearing the swishing as you slide it uh, is is really is much more compelling, uh, and that's a very human thing. I mean, that's like the same data, and it's much. Everyone remembers it because they heard it. So, yeah. Uh, okay. Yes. And, and if I may, the, our three statements that that you read in our mission, uh, they are of course interconnected. Uh, and I think what you second one, so in by facilitating novel approaches to visualization. And something that I find very powerful is that art is a story, a way of doing storytelling. It can help you strike the balance between making things uh, simple and digestible to others, things you have understood, things you have. Um, Unches that you have, you can make them simple and digestible for others. And at the same time, you can aim at making them complete and making them uh, correct on the right. science part, statistically correct. 
Um, so it really, I think it really helps you nailing that storytelling balance, which um, we don't necessarily get trained in that during our right. standard academic training. So that can be a very useful. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, Peter, yeah. Yeah, and perhaps if I may add, um, I mean, the reason why I am a treasurer is sort of, I think I sort of see art as a very pragmatic uh, form of creativity. As scientists, we, as scientists, we basically thrive on our creativity. Unfortunately, with that creativity, there comes a modicum of sort of, you know, solid statistical sense. And so often our figures that we have in the manuscripts are boring to a regular person. They can't really strike the, you know, the emotion that we hope to convey. And often as part of, you know, editorial duties for human brain mapping, um, I am asked with reviewing uh, cover figures. And it's, you really want to have a cover figure that could be descriptive in a way that it connects with you on emotional level, on conscious level. And so this is where I see part of uh, SIG and uh, that's where my interest in SIGs are is can we use our innate creativity that led us to be scientists also to create uh, creative pieces that are informative of what we do in a way that is not just dry plots and bar figures and error bars, but rather, you know, put emotion that we basically burn with when we do the research into the art itself. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. So I also like to add to that as to how art helps build perspective of brain function. So I've actually had the great opportunity to meet some, um, you know, clinician scientists. Um, for example, like Dr. Bruce Miller. Um, and, you know, if we ever get a chance to talk with them, he'll tell you about these wonderful uh, cases of where um, as an individual uh, develops a dementia of certain kinds, they become quite artistic. Um, for example, for frontal temporal dementia, for example. Um, so those artworks actually give the clinician insight into brain function, not only maybe um, uh, giving more insight into a specific disease, but also like which areas of the brain are intact in, in, that, in that person and which areas uh, can they then uh, try and enhance function of during treatment. Um, because especially with age-related dementias, most of the, one of the things that happens is the a uh, person retreats more and more within themselves because their, their brain is not functioning uh, like um, it would for others. Um, and if there are some pockets of preserved function uh, like artistic talent, or in some cases, music develops uh, in individuals, then it gives family members and caretakers a way to communicate uh, with these individuals who are otherwise locked out to us. So that would be another example of how art 
an artistic talent at a, in certain conditions can help. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Uh, um, yeah, so, so why don't we go into the, the next mission statement? So, um, so how has uh, an artistic uh, perspective facilitated the development of novel approaches of visualization? So um, I, we maybe already went over this a little bit, um, but you know, it's funny when I, when I read this mission statement, I think a little bit, you know, there's this classic set of three books uh, that I have um, that I should, probably should look at more by Tufti uh, it's sort of like the art of, uh, you know, visualization of, of data. And, and he has these beautiful, beautiful figures. Um, is it along uh, those lines or is it, is it towards a different goal? I mean, it's not only conveying information effectively, but it's also moving, moving this, the, the, the individual. And so, and we already maybe talked about it a little bit, but, but it might be interesting to hear some of your thoughts on that, the second. Yeah, so, um... Right. So the first part of that is to be able to to build more effective, more uh, elegant and communicative figures that represent the scientific data accurately. And that's, you know, what what you were referring to uh, with works by, by Tufti and, and, and others. But what art allows is to go that next step. So you have your data, you have an accurate re representation of the data. This is what you need to convey in your papers and grant applications. But you also have a vision of what this data means. And, and you you can't go beyond the data in a scientific publication, but in an artwork, you can kind of use that data as kind of the, the seed, the initial um, base for constructing a more elaborate theory as to what you think is happening, but you don't yet have the data for. But you can use an artistic representation to fill in the blanks and make that leap to go further into what you actually think is happening. Yeah, that's that's a that's a great insight. I like that. Um, yeah, and and uh, um, you know, just to, as a as a side note, I keep on thinking about. I mean, we'll, we might. It would be great to talk about this more too. That. Uh, as a side note, uh, that you know, it's it's something about the brain, you know, lends itself also. The data from the brain uh, is is extremely, you know, it's it's sort of this tension between something infinitely profound, you know, it's like what it makes what we are, you know, what you know what we are, <laughs> and that we completely don't understand yet, and this organ uh, that's just a physical object uh, that we're measuring. And, and so just this tension seems like a fountainhead of, of tons of tons of art in that regard and trying to go beyond the data, as you say. Um, and, you know, there's no society, I can't imagine, you know, an endocrine society having art about, you know, kidneys or things like that. I, you know, maybe there will be, maybe there is. I mean, certainly it lends itself to that, but something about the brain seems like, maybe I'm biased, but uh, uh, it lends itself to, to, to art as well, a little bit more. Um, so, so the third thing, um, a model for interaction between disciplines. So what, how are you uh, providing this model? Is it just simply in the galleries or in the competitions or is, it, is there something, uh, is it something more than that? Uh, uh, a model for interaction between, you know, in, to enhance public outreach. Um, so yeah, if anyone wants to jump in. Yeah, I, I guess the the interdisciplinary and multimodal nature of art really lends itself itself um, 
to be a safe space in which to open to broader communities. And this is what we try to do. Uh, Aman already mentioned the example of neurological patients for which art can be a tool to express themselves, can be um, a source of uh, therapy as much as of a way of communicating. Um, but that's not, that's just one example of community broader than the strictly speaking neuroimagers one that we have been able to talk to, to reach out to thanks to our activities. So mostly our exhibit uh, where we invite professional artists as well as um, members of other communities that, that have an interest in um, producing brain art. Um, and personally, one thing that it has taught me since day one, the first time that I approached an artist to invite it to Rome, uh, to the Rome exhibit is um, that tension that when you go above and beyond your <laughs> comfort zone, your small garden, uh, the tension that can emerge and how you have to learn to deal with it, uh, the respect that you have to have for different perspectives, different lexicons, different ways of going about <laughs> everything from scheduling meetings to deadlines. And uh, there's really, a, I find it always very beneficial to to have this dialogue in, in, in between, in between the lines. Yeah. Peter, maybe yeah. I can chime in here for a second. Sure. I, uh, <clears throat> I just, uh, I just wanted to respond earlier. You, you alluded to, you were asking, you know, where's the, where's the borderline between strict scientific data representation as, as it's expected from scientists in, uh, in publications and the more free form of artistic expression. And I have a, uh, one of my favorite quotes is from John von Neumann, who says, um, uh, you know, the, the sciences do not try to explain. They hardly even try to interpret. The, they, only, they only make models. And the only justification of the models is that they expect it to work. So I think even many times the, uh, the scientific models that we make up are very, very artistic and very, very imaginative. In MRI, for example, we keep talking about spins because we can we can measure an angular momentum, but I'm not sure we I'm not sure whether anything is spinning actually in the nucleus. Right. Uh, as such, it's a measurable quantity, and we keep calling it spin, and that's how we represent it in in many many textbooks as well. Um, an electron is a little ball spinning around somewhere, but uh, but whether it's a good uh, representation of true nature or whether it's an art, art piece, I think it's up for debate. So I'm not sure how to answer your question as to where, where we can divide the, the pure science and the art, but, um, but I just wanted to put this out as food for thought that, uh, that I, I, I think what we think is science, some of it is art, and some, there are some really amazing art pieces which, uh, which, which help, help uh, scientific thought for example, I, I consider, you know, when you when the first time you could take slices of slices of um, images and construct in a computer a 3D model and look at it from different angles, I think that was hugely helpful. And uh, and it didn't, you know, it's it would not would not be possible without some imagination. Yeah. Yeah. No. Actually, um, I I completely. Yeah. The more I think about it, the more you know. 
we're all to some degree, I mean, some of the best scientists who produce the highest impact papers are, are sort of, uh, uh, you know, have this sort of uh, this sense of, of, you know, art in some sense to connect a little bit better with, with people and create these models that people can grasp and immediately resonate with uh, in, that, in that regard. I mean, there's certain, uh, you know, it seems like there's, could be certain principles. Um, uh, uh, yeah, and, and um, uh, of, of, of what makes, so, so uh, yeah, so are, do you think that there's certain principles of, of, of what would make good art in that regard? Um, and what makes good art in, in, in scientific art, I guess? Uh, uh, is there some sort of, uh, you know, it'd be interesting to have one thing produced by the art seg is to sort of have a, a white paper on, on old, but obviously you don't want to be too formulaic. <laughs> um, uh, and you don't want to be too prescriptive. I mean, that's the whole point, but, but, but I mean, I'll, and I, I was planning on getting this later, but um, you, know, uh, you know, there's good art and there's bad art and, uh, and, and it's hard to say. Uh, and, you know, obviously one could almost say there's no such thing as bad, really bad art, if it's your expression of what you're doing. Uh, but at the same time, objectively, if you were, if you have, you have your competitions and you're, you're rating them and uh, how do you, uh, based on what metrics do you, do you rate the art? Um, uh, I don't know if you're the ones who rate it. So you probably have some sort of a committee or something like that, but that, on, on what metrics do, does one rate this art? Uh, what, what's good, what's bad? Um, we, we've left it very subjective uh, for the rater. Uh, one thing that we did notice when we finally became a SIG is most of our raiders were men. Um, so we went, uh, we went on a mission to then try and include uh, women as well. Um, and I think going forward, our mission also should be to invite people from different cultural and ethnic or geographical backgrounds um, to make sure that it's well balanced. Um, because art, yes, there is an innate uh, emotional response to whether you like something or not, but it can also be quite cultural. Um, and it would be nice going forward to see uh, if our raters change or are increased in numbers to reflect these various differences, what kind of art would they pick? I mean, that's an experiment in itself. Um, so. Yeah, that's I think. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's one, my one answer to that question. <laughs> so it's a function of your cultural resonance. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it might be that might be an interesting. I mean, it would be fun. You know, OHBM has these roundtable discussions of, of what makes uh, what was. You know, it would be interesting source of a of a conversation, um, uh, and and potential experiments. Uh, <laughs> um, so, so, and also one thing that uh, I thought of immediately when I was, when uh, also in the context of, of talking about the sound, uh, uh, converting fMRI signals to sound is, is are there other, I mean, so what mediums are you, are you, I mean, obviously visual art is lends itself perfectly to, um, you know, visual arts and physical art lends itself perfectly to this. I mean, as we're brain imagers, uh, but at the same time, I think, um, you know, there might be, uh, and I, there probably has been, uh, maybe I missed it, but uh, like written art, uh, 
you know, uh, other types of uh, what are the what are the mediums that have been presented so far? Uh, uh, I don't know if anyone wants to jump in. Yeah. We actually always had a pretty good range. Uh, in Rome, we were lucky enough that we had a physical exhibit. So we had 3D sculptures that, sculptures that were brought to Rome and exhibited. Uh, last year in the virtual setting, um, uh, those kind of pieces were only shown as uh, their videos or photo uh, testament, sort of. So uh, 2D visual uh, are, uh, pieces works are the majority. But we do also have audiovisual contributions that stand from full uh, video, like movies, short movies, to uh, songs, like music pieces. Uh, and we also had short text. And again, from Aiku style <laughs> to comics uh, to short poems. Uh, from artists and from patients, from researchers. So we, we always try to cover the broad spectrum of the arts. Uh, we do tend to have a bias toward the visual ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so, so uh, uh, related to that, um, I mean, I'd, I'd like to go back, you know, it's, in, some, in some ways I was, the, the more we're talking about what we're doing here, I mean, the more it seems like something even more, I mean, art, you know, obviously is, I, we should all think about it more, but it's something, uh, it's, it's, it's more profound in the sense that it's, I, I like, I really like this idea of, of not only for the scientific efficacy of, of the, the concept of reducing the dimensionality, uh, the messiness of, of the data, not only to present, but also to understand, and also you know to to understand yourself. I mean, we're all doing that all the time. Uh, you know, we're all you know taking a sliver of reality and making sense of it, and we have our story that we tell us constantly every day, all the time. And uh, and it seems that that you know there's something. You know, it's an interesting theme of uh, you know I think of. Also, like, and also just this, the, the idea of minimalism in the sense that we're, you know, I remember seeing uh, Cajal's, you know, everyone sort of knows about his iconic, uh, you know, drawings of neurons. And, and there's something really compelling about them because they're detailed, yet they're completely stripped away of all the context. It's just these images and, and they just hit you, right? They hit you really hard because, because they're so stripped away. It's not like a messy brain you're looking at. Uh, it's this. And, and in some way that's somehow, you know, how we process the world, how people process the world. Uh, you know, the, the simpler it is, the more it's potentially moving um, to convey and for ourselves. So I don't know if there's a potential, and I don't know where I'm going with this, to be honest, um, um, <laughs> but, uh, but if there's a potential, it would be fun to sort of have a, uh, even a competition of, of uh, you know, in, in the context of, uh, you know, one of the competitions or a sub-competition or something of, you know, some essence, some essence of the understanding that you're conveying from your data and how much you can reduce it and, and convey it in, in, a, in a way that's simple and artistic. Uh, um, that might be interesting, but anyway. So, so that's actually a kind of speaker that we're actually looking for, uh, for our, um, collaborations with the Open Science SIG and maybe Valentina, you might want to expand on that a bit. 
Yeah, the collaboration that Aman is mentioning is something very dear to us. So we collaborate with our sister SIG, uh, the Open Science SIG, for visualization session during the um, hackathon that precedes the, the, the conference. Uh, and we always look for uh, speakers that can open uh, with, with tutorials and, and like the more hands-on as possible, but talks or tutorials that can open to new platforms and new tools and new approaches to scientific visualization. And, and here really the target is a scientific, like a figure that you could put in your paper, <laughs> figure that you could use in your uh, publication. Uh, but with some insight that go from how to make it aesthetically pleasing to, and we are really open this year, how to make it uh, accessible uh, to visually impaired and it, the, the variety of visual impairments that one can have. So we are really trying to expand in that direction. It's uh, definitely something that is, um, is dear to us. And while you were talking of sort of dimensionality reduction is really interesting because it's not just reducing the dimensions, but um, you're really condensating the message and you're, it's an interesting yeah. kind of PCA to do uh, on your data. And uh, <laughs> while you were talking, I was thinking, how can we define it as a, as a new award, <laughs> as a new category in our competition? Because <laughs> it does sound very, very, very fitting. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And, and not only, and, and it's interesting, I, it just occurred to me also, this, it's this dimensionality reduction, um, you know, having these models, uh, you know, like you were mentioning with spin, as well as Olden, um, you know, having these models, and, and having this dimensionality reduction not only conveys this information, but maybe provides tools for adding additional insight. Uh, into into processes, you know, if you're thinking about, you know, it's, it's the whole classic problem of losing, losing the forest for the trees, and you really can't make much progress that way. But if you if you kind of lose, you know, understand the forest, uh, and, and sort of know, have this simplistic, artistic way of looking at things, you can actually potentially uh, generate insight. Uh, yeah, so uh, it's maybe, a, a, you know, could be a, a tool in that regard. As a matter of fact, I just happened to be directed to a, a book just before I came here by Martin Kemp called Seen Unseen. And I think he talks a little bit about that. But uh, um, but anyway, uh, so I don't know if you have any thoughts on on that as well. But um, but yeah, so talk a little bit more about the, the hackathon because, uh, you know, the hackathon is another sort of movement uh, in... Uh, in OHBM, not about the hackathon itself, but how you interact uh, with with the hackathon, because you know they're very, you know they're very. Uh, uh, it's kind of anarchy in some sense, where they just want to just do stuff. They want to you know get together. It's getting a little bit more organized, a little bit more, which might be good, might be bad. But uh, but yeah, how is your interaction? Um, so I'm actually gonna um, pass this to Ting because she's been extremely instrumental in, in making this happen. And I, know, I realize she's been very quiet. So Ting, maybe you want to take the lead. <laughs> Thank you, Ramit. Well, I, I have attended about seven or eight times of OHBM. And I remember the first year of Bring Art in Quebec City. That was the, the most impressed me that, that year because maybe because it's, it's not like uh, uh, the Bring Art in the following year was not attractive, but probably the audience at OHBM are too focused on the science part, not really the, the arts part. So at 
the same time, I really see a lot of great ideas and visualization at the, the hackathon and people there are always very active. So last uh, year, like in Rome, uh, we, we just uh, advertised some brain art events. It was um, impositionally. So that was not like our purpose. We just had the chance to, to speak up there. So, but it was well received in the audience and a lot of people came to the Brain Arts exhibition and got our um, Brain Arts postcard. And uh, we had also a little lottery there. And uh, that, that was quite a nice advertisement. And uh, so last year we, we talked about have this uh, uh, Brain Arts, Brain Visualization session at Hackathon to bring the scientists more into this, uh, this um, into our thing and to to uh, post their scientific arts to, to, to our vision. And in my experience, I always find a good visualization is really helpful for me to present uh, like scientific stuff. So I do believe that visualization definitely deserve to be, you know, part of the hackathon and a part of our sync vision. Yeah, I completely, I completely agree. Um, I mean, there could even be courses on, on, you know, on workshops on, on best ways to visualize. And I mean, it's a sort of a, you know, it's a practical thing, but it's really, it, I think it's really important. And I think it, yeah, it's, I mean, our data are they're so multidimensional, you know, it's a huge challenge. It's becoming even more challenging as we go along to try to figure out, especially with big data and all kinds of things of how to, how to properly visualize and cut through it. Um, yeah, well, that's great. That's, that's, a, that's a cool uh, thing. And also you've interacted a little bit with, um, uh, uh, you know, coming up with Aperture's logo and that happened pretty quickly. How, so what was that? Uh, how, how did you, uh, I mean, that's nice to, I mean, there's all kinds of things that like that that come up. And so just even logos, uh, what, what did you do there? I mean, you were, you were asked by Aperture to come up with it and just sent out, uh, a request and <laughs> yeah we didn't we didn't want to monopolize logos uh, so we we set up a competition uh, for aperture uh, and then before we jump to aperture i also want to mention that the brain art uh, visualization session at the hackathon was one of the most attended attended sessions in the hackathon last year yeah oh that's cool that's actually that's important um it shows how much of a how much people feel the need for this. Um, I think that's really cool, yeah. And in fact, I had this crazy idea that maybe we should have a, a sub-session with editors of journal and, and discuss how we how the editors would like to see brain art presented. And I thought it would be interesting because, you know, like for example, neuroimage is mostly paper-based figures, whereas we have eLife, you can, Put in like notebooks and various things. Um, so, you know, going forward, we should think of those kind of interactions as well. Um, yeah, so if, if you wanted to be part of that, you'd be welcome. Yeah, course. I'd love to. I'd love to. I, yeah, it's funny. I was the, I was the, you know, as the editor of Chief Neuroimage, I was the one who actually decided on the, on all the covers. You know, that was one of the, and I, I always, you know, it's funny because some editors in chief, uh, ed editor in chiefs, ed editors in chief, um, don't like it. Uh, you know, they, they pass it off to someone else, but I love, that was one of my favorite parts of my job. It was, it was sort of like, oh, every, every 
issue here came out. And I was really frustrated by the fact that, you know, paper copies are no longer really distributed. So, uh, you know, so this beautiful piece of art is just some tiny little thing, you know, uh, that on a paper that you can barely see. And I, I wanted to have it somehow highlighted and displayed better, um, but, you know, oh well. Well, I do think that journals should start thinking about uh, doing sci-art on Twitter. There, there are hashtags already, and some of the art that are tweeted are beautiful. So if, if there are beautiful uh, art in within an article or on the journal cover, they really should be, um, you know, distributed to, to the social media audience, which is huge these days. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I completely, I completely, that's great. I think that's, that's, uh, would be a wonderful thing. Um, there's a need for that, uh, without a doubt. Um, yeah, so, uh, so yeah, so the Aperture was just simply a, a competition um, uh, that you, and we got a great logo and, and it sort of makes sense and, and it works really well. Um, so have you received any, I mean, you have, uh, do you have like a membership or is it just simply, uh, a group, you're the group, and and it just simply uh, does things at the meetings, or is there, you know, sort of people join them? Uh, you know, in some societies they have memberships in these subgroups, but uh, uh, or have you received any feedback from the from people who've attended and and things that they want or don't want, or you know, are there... um, yeah. So okay, I can I can start, and others can jump in. Um, we have received feedback from OHBM and OHBM membership that they want uh, brain art events throughout the year. Uh, so we're trying to figure out as actually as Zoltan's job going forward as to how to actually be able to do that. Not that we can't, but just to have the bandwidth to deliver all year long, which would require probably a larger team. So we have the main SIG officials, but then have sub teams. And that would actually require voluntary work um, from OHBM members just to see what they want, what they would be willing to put together. Um, Aperture has approached us and uh, has uh, shown interest in having uh, at least one brain art feature every year, if not more. Um, so that's another thing we've been working with Aperture quite well. And, um, our first manuscript is, fingers crossed, almost wrapped up. Uh, so it should be going to Aperture soon. Oh, cool. Yeah. All right. <laughs> um, but I'll let like others jump in here. Yeah, maybe I could just mention our online platform. So we, um, as Amanda mentioned, we don't have membership of that sort, but we do um, very happily take volunteers, uh, especially during the annual meeting. We do need help with a lot of small things. So we have uh, through the years collected volunteers and we have a Slack workspace where we can chat with these volunteers and make sure that the exhibitions and competition run smoothly. And uh, we have a Twitter account that is fairly followed and always generates interesting interactions. And now we have also a new, very new, shiny, brand new website, um, thanks to Desiree and Anna. So everyone can find information on us and how to contact us and get in touch and start volunteering because we are very open. But as Aman mentioned, um, we can only 
implement so many of the ideas we have as long as we don't gather more hands on that. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's, I mean, there's so many things that I think that there's a, there's a pent up need and enthusiasm uh, for more of, of this. Um, yeah. And, and actually it's important to, right. I mean, I think there's, it's funny, there's a pent up need to express uh, themselves that, you know, it's, I, I just happened to see, I have a colleague, uh, Lauren Atlas, who's now making, um, you know, she's showing on Twitter that, you know, she's making these, um, you know, these things you put up in your windows that, you know, these stained glass sort of pictures of brains, uh, you know, which are, which are great, uh, which are really, it's cool. I would love to, I would love to buy one, you know, and that's sort of along those lines of, of, you know, it'd be interesting to try to, I mean, you know, it's sort of a, a practical, maybe a little bit more, uh, but I think it's it's kind of interesting to think about maybe, um, you know, uh, fostering people who want to even sell their work potentially. <laughs> I mean, obviously you don't want to have a side business feeding off of OHBM, I don't know. Um, but uh, uh, but still, it's not really a business, but just helping people, you know, they, they, they express themselves, they, they you know, uh, it, so Lauren's actually looking into selling it. And, and actually, I, you know, every year when I go to SFN, I see this guy, Greg Dunn, or uh, who's this, um, who has these amazing, and he used to be a postdoc and, and he just, I think he's just doing that now. I think he's just selling these spectacular images. <laughs> and so, I mean, people, it could help foster people's entire careers. Uh, so I don't know if that's a thought that, uh, of how to actually practically do that. So. No, that, that has been discussed with OHBM, uh, especially last year, because I think our, especially, you know, we're going to have an in-person exhibit and then it was shut down because of COVID-19. And really the artists went above and beyond to deliver on a digital platform so close to, to the meeting date. Um, so I think OHBM uh, really appreciated that. Um, and they actually sent out an email uh, to the entire membership if, if, you know, that they'd be happy to put them in contact with the artists if they were interested in buying these artworks. And we've always sold posters of artwork. Yeah. 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 Um, I know like some of my pieces has been like some, some people do own my pieces and I know others are other artists artworks have also been bought. Um, so there is, there is uh, like there is an interest in buying. There's an interest in selling. The only issue with an in-person meeting is most of us don't want to be lugging art back home in our little suitcases, I guess. Right. Um, so then there would be a need to create like a platform, kind of like yep. what you had brought up in your email is you know a platform where they could just download, yeah, and maybe get it printed. In, in their location. I think that would be the easiest to get a high quality print, which could be printed if, if it's a visual art or um, I guess the most expensive would be shipment. Um, so yeah, I mean, um, that it has been discussed over and over again, we're just not sure how to implement it without it make, becoming a business because right. it's nonprofit, right? So. Yeah, yeah, or even having, um... Yeah, not really a business, but sort of help, you know, having people maybe put forth their own 
you know, what the costs are for doing that and their sort of contributes and then, and then, uh, and then just being a clearinghouse and then not making a profit, just giving all the profits to them or whatever. Um, yeah, no, I think that, I mean, it's, and I think it's kind of done all over the place. Like, uh, you know, my former postdoc, uh, Renzo Huber, you know, he's very artistic and, you know, he just sort of makes his pictures and puts them on shirts and, and there's some website and people buy the shirts and you know, it, it, it might be an interesting sort of way to catalyze some direction of, of this. I mean, obviously not everyone's interested in selling it, what they're doing, but, uh, but there might be a few uh, and it might be a, a better, a good way of spreading, spreading it. I mean, I, and, and that sort of just shows that, you know, there's all kinds of art too. I mean, there's, there's everything from like we were talking about this profound or maybe not profound, but sort of, you know, getting at some essence of, of the data to just simply, you know, reproducing it in an interesting form, like, you know, knitting a, a scarf that has a brain on it or something like that is, is also art. And it's also people would like it. I and mean, people like, you know, something about the brain also that sort of fosters you just wanting to have brain stuff. I mean, I like brain stuff. So, <laughs> um, and it's not just stuff, it's art and it's, but it's, you know, there's different levels. Um, yeah. Peter, uh, while we're on the topic of disseminating art to, to um, different fragments of the, of the population, scientists or layperson alike, I wanted to just mention earlier you, when, you, when you said that you were a little bit saddened by the fact that uh, all the journals moved online, so the physical copies didn't, people didn't see in their hand and didn't see a, uh, like, um, a big version of the cover art. Well, I'm overall happy that they went online, but, but, but aside, that was the only downside, right? Fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. I didn't want to paraphrase. I, I wanted to quote you exactly, but, uh, but I agree with that. I, what I wanted to mention is that what is a very important aspect is that a, a lot of journals uh, are, are now um, open access. And the idea is that the public should, since the public funds research, the public should have access to the research. But frankly, I, I can't consume even other people's research who are not in my field. So, so the, the open access is a, is a, is a, is a nice initiative, but, uh, but the usefulness of it might not be all there. However, with, uh, with incorporating more art pieces, informative, easier to digest um, versions of the, of, the, of the research results, I think it's a nice channel to the, to the general public. Which uh, which could could and maybe should be embraced by the by the different journals. So each, for example, each article could have like a, a visual abstract with it. Some journals already do it, uh, and each each article could have, if they want, uh, uh, a very layperson summary of their uh, of their results or an art piece. Um, yeah. That's what I wanted to say just in response because we've been talking about the different channels how we could disseminate art uh, and and some we could combine with already that what's existing with which is the journals where we publish and that it, the the fact that they're going open access yeah yeah no you're absolutely right and i think that there's an opportunity there without a doubt and i think that you know what what you said made me think about um you know for instance uh you know there's uh, uh neurosynth this one this one uh thing that scrapes the journals for text associated with brain maps but you could also imagine scraping you know going through every month and coming up with the best figures uh, and sort of having a, you know, the, I think I think you're right. I think that the the next level with open access because you're just bombarded with stuff is sort of coming up with these curation uh, uh, services that sort of take it and then 
say, hey, this is the best of this month or something like that. Uh, the best figures, the best art, um, whatever. Uh, that could be that could be really useful. You could even imagine a, you know, something like the equivalent of neurosynth, but but uh, I don't know how I would do that. But uh, <laughs> um, but something that even you know you'd have to be manual uh, to some degree, sort of just having people do this, teams of people. Uh, but I think it'd be useful because I think it actually helps, like you say, sort of highlight uh, highlight things in a way that sort of gets the essence of them. And and having and act, like you said also asking people maybe if they want to add a part to their paper that's simple and direct. Uh, that's a that's a package that people can look at. Yeah, yeah that's what I meant. Not uh, not a third party going through all the papers, but everybody or yeah. every group that writes a paper, they 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 have the chance. They should be allowed to have the chance to to di disseminate their results at different levels, different uh, let's say expertise levels. Right, right. I like I like that idea. Uh, um, as a matter of fact, I'm I'm sort of associated with Aperture. I'm sort of helping getting it going, and that might be an interesting idea to bring up. Uh, at least in the aperture. I mean, you have to sort of do it at a journal-wide, but uh, you know, maybe NeuroImage, I used to be with NeuroImage, I, I can talk to them and uh, that'd be kind of cool. I think it would be very cool. But that uh, could be an educational course in in collaboration with the Brain Arts SIG. Um, we would need the right speakers, um, but it would be very helpful in, in today's uh, publishing world. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. How like an educational course along lines of how to distill your your information in a way that's compelling, or uh, you know, sort of like along the line what Ting is doing with with, with BrainHack, or uh, like would it be something like that? Or um, yeah. nope. <laughs> anyway. Um, uh, or, or would it be? <laughs> oh, she's yeah. lost her audio. Okay. Uh, but I, I mean, I think what she meant was that uh, you know courses on how to more effectively uh, represent your your scientific results, both to a scientific audience as well as to the general public. So to both two levels of uh, of representation. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, I lost audio for a bit. Yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, actually going back a bit to uh, making art more, like if people wanted to buy art, uh, I know Pierre Bellac and I had experimented with um, making uh, local art exhibitions um, because most of the uh, competition art that's loaded uh, to that's given to us, I guess, for the competition, um, they do um, allow, they have open access rights, basically. Uh, and most of the artists uh, competing are okay with us using their artwork for, um, you know, usage and other things. Uh, so long we let them know. I, I think we usually let them know out of respect that, hey, we're, we're gonna showcase your art. Uh, problem with digital art is it's like, it's nice to watch it on this, to see it on the screen. But I think some of the art pieces are, you give them more justice by printing them out big and yeah. really like showing them off in a much bigger spatial scale, maybe with some framing. Um, and that really brings out the depth of what, what the artist is trying to portray because um, they're not meant to be watched on a screen necessarily. Um, so one of the ideas that we were floating around is you know, why not have local art exhibits? Uh, you know, OHM members can do that if they wanted to. 
Um, so that would be another way of like bringing that art closer to home, potentially selling it um, and, you know, giving, um, maybe be recovering the cost of the art exhibit as well as maybe um, if there was any ex excess then to give that back to the artists so they yep. can promote their work further, right? Yeah, I like that idea. Having, trying to foster local, local uh, shows in some sense and, and yeah. And trying to, you know, just connect with people around the world in that sense. I agree. I agree. That's, yeah. I mean, it seems like there's so many, you know, potential opportunities with this regard. One last uh, sort of mundane thing I thought of uh, as I was thinking about things here is um, not only a clearinghouse for people who want to just sort of get the art and, or, or sell the art or whatever, but, but it would be interesting. I've often thought this too, like, you know, anyone, everyone giving, anyone giving a basic talk on like, for instance, bold contrast, you know, with fMRI, they always have, they always have to reinvent these sort of diagrams in which, you know, they show bold, they show activation and blood flow goes up, things like that. It would be great to sort of potentially be a clearinghouse for scientific, you know, concept illustrations that, you know, cause that we all, that we all could use, you know, and I try to look up things and, you know, you see st stuff and it's a mixed bag. It would be great for OHBM to foster, you know, there's so many things, so many people give these talks where they want something that just shows something and it's not exactly related to the research. They just want to introduce it. Uh, that could be cool too. That could be also, anyway, just random thoughts. Um, I'm, I'm, it's more, uh, Less podcast, more brainstorming. But uh, <laughs> anyway, um, uh, so I think um, I think we're getting close to the end here. And uh, is there anything that you feel I've I've failed to cover, or you just want to mention uh, as parting thoughts before before we end? Um, uh, yes, um, Peter. If I could go back to your, uh, one of your earlier questions of how to outreach to the public or intermingled disciplines. Um, we also, um, last year, our show was very focused on uh, di uh, showcasing diversity um, and, uh, you know, realizing that um, basically our, the topics these days that's overwhelming everybody is, you know, authors get cited based on how they look, uh, certain, you know, underrepresented minorities are not showcased. There are very, a lot of good scientists that just never get the recognition. Uh, so last year we made a big effort to, uh, uh, we approach artists who would be willing to uh, take maybe even OHBM members and cartoon and like make them into superheroes, give them superpowers. So to showcase neuroscientists with superpowers <laughs> and we focused on the underrepresented uh, minorities and women and, and things like that. Um, so, and we did them in a cartoon format because we wanted the younger generation uh, to realize that, you know, not all scientists, scientists are necessarily Caucasian. They could be of other nationalities. They could look very different, but they're all working towards a common goal. So, so we, we did that and we, we made um, it kind of child-friendly. So in, in that sense, the Brain Art Signal collaborated with the diversity and inclusivity committee um, to you know, foster that relationship that art's not just about you know, the, the people with means uh, being able to produce nice things, but you know, art comes from all different places. Uh, I think art is a common denominator in that sense that you know, 
like, for example, I grew up in India and I didn't really have a toy to my name, but I could make art. Um, and I think a lot of people probably share that sentiment. Um, so we, we tried to bring EDI or DEI into our brain art exhibits as well. And we've been following that uh, trend. We also brought in uh, an artist from Nigeria who's been using art in, in African countries uh, to uh, not only promote art, but do art therapy, um, you know, bring art into the healthcare. Uh, so I, I wanted, just wanted to point out that it's not just about a pretty image, it's also the message is giving um, to the individual and how we could be more inclusive at OHBM via also the brain arts thing. Yeah. Yeah, I completely. So when you had that cart, those cartoons, so you, you, I mean, so, you, so the way you were inclusive was to uh, have these uh, uh, underrepresented, represented people draw these, uh, draw these art, art forms. Um, I remember seeing that actually, that was great. I mean, it. Um, no, no. The, so one, one of our, one of the artists approached us, she's a professional artist. Okay. She used okay. to be a uh, scientist actually. Um, but her, she, she has been focusing on, um, because I guess at some point she has a little, she has a little daughter and the daughter said like, oh, I, I want to be a scientist, but I can't. And the, the artist like, why, why can't you? And she's like, oh, all the scientists I know about are, are men. Um, yeah. so that drove her to start representing women in science and she makes lovely superhero, um, um, she has a lovely superhero portfolio of, of women scientists. And as she progresses with her artwork, she's been trying to include uh, women of color, men of color, uh, other underrepresented minorities, people with disabilities. Um, and uh, last year, what we did, we asked the diversity and inclusivity committee at OHBM, like, can you give us names of OHBM scientists that you would want the artists to then turn into superheroes and give them superpowers, right? Based on their work. So the powers are really like the scientific areas they're researching on. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's very cool uh, if you get- That is very cool. That, that, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. I, th I think, yeah, more of that, right? Art that can resonate like that it really does help diversity in that regard and helps people raise people's awareness in that regard too. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm excited about, seeing this whole SIG grow uh, in what it can do and how much it engages both OHBM and the general public. And uh, so, but yeah, well, thank you. Thanks all of you uh, uh, for coming on. I really appreciate this and I, and I look forward to, you know, what, your, what, what comes out either during OHBM or, or throughout the year. So, all right, thank you very much. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.